A Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, Episode 185. Welcome to The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. I'm your host, Dr. Yishai Barkadari, psychologist and adaptability coach to entrepreneurs and business leaders. I believe that working on your business is more important than working in your business. If you want to achieve your business goals and dreams without the cost and pain of having to make every mistake yourself, then The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is the podcast for you. I'm here to help you learn from the lessons of entrepreneurs and business leaders to help you work on yourself and your business so that you can save time, energy, and grow faster. For those of you new to the show, The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai presents three new episodes each week. On Insight Sunday, we dive into the minds of business leaders through insightful guest interviews. On Story Tuesday, we dig deeper with them and learn firsthand from their stories, hard-earned lessons, and experience. On Thrive Thursday, it's just you and me on the couch, where you'll hear scientific research, my thoughts, and tangible tactics to adapt and grow yourself and your business. Grab a proverbial seat and listen up so you can learn from the minds and mistakes of business leaders and apply their wisdom to your life and business. Our Story Tuesday conversation was so packed and full of value that I just had to share it with you in two parts. In part one, Janice shared lessons she learned about following through as a key to success and systems that allow her to easily shelf and pick up projects so she can make headway on multiple projects simultaneously. In part two, Janice continues sharing principles for success, including what to do when a project or initiative hits a roadblock or gets stuck. We round out our conversation with her insightful answers for the couch round questions. Before we dive in, I wanted to share that the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is brought to you by Adaptability Coaching and Consulting. If you lead a seven-plus-figure business and want to reach the next level for yourself and your business, if you have passions, goals, and dreams and want to continue to strive as a team, a leader, and a visionary without risking burnout, if you have overcome challenges, developed wisdom, and know that adapting is not just for surviving, but a core part of thriving, then adaptability coaching is for you. With psychology and neuroscience-backed tools, the 3D adaptation framework can show you how to tap into and harness the way our brains are uniquely designed for adaptation. You can learn to harness and leverage adaptability tools and frameworks to grow yourself and your company. You can learn to become fast, flexible, and formidable. You can learn to hone yourself further, to proactively adapt, to thrive, instead of reactively adapting, just to survive. To learn more, go to dryishai.com slash coaching. You've learned and seen over time that even if you get lodged in one area, you can say, all right, I'm going to put this down until it gets dislodged, which will happen when someone leaves or some change occurs there. And in the meantime, let me just leave my trail of breadcrumbs and then I'll go off over here and I'm going to go do work over here in an area that I don't get so stuck, that I'm not lodged in something, but that progress can happen. And it allows you to have multiple projects. And then 
if or when a change starts to happen or there's a dislodging happening, you have left your trail of breadcrumbs and each crumb there is intentional. It's information, it's data that will help lead you back and also will help you catch up whoever it is that you're going to then be connecting with. So you catch them up on everything. And so they get the whole trail of breadcrumbs as well. So it helps you stay organized. It also helps them get the benefit of all of this process. And you can more or less pick up where they left off or where you're getting dislodged. Exactly. And I recently had a project where this exactly happened, where I could literally, working on a project to make the Smithsonian accessible, and I was able to catch up. I was speaking with that didn't know the back history and Mm -hmm. literally tell them all the people I spoke with everything that happened on each of the dates. And suddenly they were all caught up on the problem and they were able to move forward much faster Mm -hmm. because they didn't have to recalculate and refigure out. They had a better understanding of what was happening. And it was very, very insightful, but I stopped working on the Smithsonian for a couple of years because Uh of the previous administration, but I do that regularly. And I Mm -hmm. call it like, it's kind of like the way the basket for the GDP, you have a basket full of uh, not GDP gross national product. You have a basket full of things I call this my basket full of projects. I try to move Mm. and work on multiple projects. It's not sometimes even getting stuck. Sometimes I get bored on something or I just need like a break from it, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to just sit and go close my laptop and go, okay, I'm done for the day. I just switch to another thing. Yeah. So I'm hearing there are three principles that come together here. One is your basket full of projects, which is not just that you are leaning heavily. It's not, you know, you only have all your eggs in one basket, but you have a basket full of different projects. So that's the first piece of it. The second piece of it is sometimes various projects, whether you get bored or they get stalled, or there's an administration that's not receptive, or there's some other issues, whatever it is, there are at any given time, several projects that are on hold. Maybe you put them on hold, maybe other people put them on hold. And along with that is the understanding that even when something is on hold, there's change going to be happening. It may take a while. It might take months or years. You may get bored of it, not want to come back for a while. You may get overwhelmed with it. Or, you know, for those of you out there, right, it might be in your business. You have a number of initiatives and there may be various initiatives and how much they're going forward and whatnot. And there may be times where it's not helpful to move forward with an initiative for whatever the reason is, right? And then the third piece of it is leave yourself a trail of breadcrumbs. Producer, maintain all of that data so that you know where you left off, you know where you've been, you know how to get back. And then when you want to pick it up, whoever you're picking that up with, you can also hand it over to them. Those three pieces sound to me like a recipe for fulfilling your mission, for fulfilling that dream. Because even if one area is not working, well, you have a bunch of other projects, right? To borrow a juggling metaphor, right? You have a lot of balls in the air. Sometimes you want to let a few of them drop and you can pick them up later if you know where they are and you can really kind of with that trail of breadcrumbs, get your way back there. And you can also help others by doing that. And that becomes also the work you've done for them so that you don't have to spend weeks and months just trying to catch them up or trying to piece that back together. It also helps make sure that those projects don't fall apart, even though they've been put down. Exactly. Yeah. I wish we had more time. We're going to need to jump into another couch round and then wrap up for today. And I wanted to kick it off with what's one thing you know now that you wish you knew when you were getting started? Oh, that's a great question. I think I wish I knew that you're not going to always succeed on every single project. And it is okay to walk away from some projects Hmm. that some just get stuck. And sometimes you just need to walk away a lot sooner. 
but mm. also on advocacy in this case, I need to stop pounding the pavement and file the complaints a lot sooner mm. because I was doing way too much work in the beginning for some of these agencies who are wasting my time. And I didn't realize they were spinning my wheels. Mm. You know, if you want to get rid of someone, you keep asking for lots of documents, you kind of spin people's wheels to make them go away. Mm. And I don't let people now spin my wheels. I bring it to a close much faster. And there's some, I, I walk away, not because they want me to, because I want to, mm-hmm. and I'm not willing to work on small projects. I'll only work on big projects now. Mm. That's a lot of different lessons. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I wish we had more time. Maybe we can dig into some of those again at a future time. Next question. What's the difference between a mistake and failure? Everyone makes mistakes. Failure is not realizing that you, everyone makes mistakes. Hmm. So, you know, I think it's impossible to not make a mistake. It's just physically impossible. I make hmm. mistakes all the time. Failure is not acknowledging mistakes and not taking ownership of it. Yeah. Next, can you name someone who you can go to when you make a mistake and they'll respond by saying, okay, let's deal with this now and learn from it for later? Definitely. I go to my children. The advantage of your children becoming grown adults, they hold you accountable. They don't put up with your nonsense. (laughs) And I think it's a good thing for both. They see when you make mistakes. So Mm -hmm. it gives them permission to make mistakes that it's not fatal. It's Mm -hmm. really how you handle the mistakes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Next, can you name someone who you've learned from their mistakes instead of having to make your own? I can't say one person. Mm -hmm. I would say, like you said before, I'm an information vacuum. Mm -hmm. So I'm learning from mistakes of lots of people and taking that in to understand the lesson from the mistakes. It's like, I don't have an idol or one person in my life. The same way I have the basketball projects, I like to take from a lot of different people. And so I look to see how other people handle situations and learn from them. And it's not one particular person. I just really like to pull in a lot of information. Yeah. Thank you. Next, from your perspective, what's more important, working in your business or working on your business? I think on my business. I think it's really important for me to take care of my business. Hmm. But that's interesting. I'm going to have to even think more about that one. Yeah. I think working on my business. Yeah. Next, what's one thing that's coming up for you or your company or your advocacy work that you're really excited or you're really working on right now? I think this is going to be a really big project is the AP style guide, which crafts language for journalists to use when they're writing articles as a reference material Hmm. where they could turn to for appropriate language or Hmm. how to say something. And they're updating it to include updated terms for people with disabilities. Hmm. And I'm really super excited to be part of that. Yeah, that sounds really amazing. I'll share for me, I'm aware that I certainly make a lot of mistakes and I like being corrected on that. And before our conversations, one thing that came up for me, I had a moment of wondering and being concerned about what if I open up my mouth and say something in a way that's not okay. There are times what I do in those situations is I don't correct the person. Mm -hmm. I just use the right language. So if Mm -hmm. somebody says hearing impaired, instead of people who are hard of hearing using person first terminology and not Mm -hmm. impairment, I will just say, yes, people who are hard of hearing, I find that people tend to correct the language because Mm -hmm. they're aware of themselves. But it's important because as President Obama said, when he signed Rosa's law, people are what you call them. And limiting some of these terms like handicapped, special, impaired Mm. is really important. 
And I think having journalists do that because that's where the language changes is what you see in the media. So Mm -hmm. I think it's going to have a real ripple effect or domino effect Mm -hmm. on people's language usage. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I really appreciate you sharing how you handle it. And also that process of people first language, not the impairment, not the disability, not labeling with those things first, but starting with a person and then describing what they're experiencing as a kind of general way of being respectful of people as people first. I mean, it's, for example, I have blonde hair, right? If someone Mm -hmm. called me the blonde, that would be derogatory. Mm. And but if someone said the woman with the blonde hair, not derogatory, it's a description. The same with disabilities. There are, of course, some hardcore advocates who like the word disabled. They have the right to choose any word and description they want, but they don't get to decide for the category. And mm. it's always better to be the softer version before the harder version. Let mm. the person say what they want or ask the person how they prefer to be referred to. Mm-hmm. But for someone even who likes disabled to say everyone should be called that, they don't get to decide that. That's just not appropriate. Like in every group, there are hardcore people and Mm. extremists, no matter what group. And Mm -hmm. they're just another extreme category. As you're talking about it, one of those points is that the idea of using one label for everybody might not really be all that effective or the idea of pushing that for everybody. And as you said, it might be helpful to lead with something softer or to lead with a request or saying, what is your preference rather than you know, saying, oh, well, I like it this way. So everybody should do it this way. That can be a real challenge, especially when that particular language can have consequences and might to some people feel stigmatizing or judgmental or labeling in some way. So thank you for sharing that. And I'm really excited for this work as well. I'm really excited for the implications of it because part of the way that culture really changes is by the way we speak the language that we use. And I'm really acutely aware of that. So that's really, really exciting. And I can't wait for that. Next and final question, what is one question, whether about business or leadership, that you would want to have a psychologist, adaptability expert, executive coach, and business consultant answer? Why people don't make change that they know is really better for society, Mm. right? Like, why would someone not want to include hearing access? I understand the cost issues, but if you remove, let's say, cost issues, right, there's still sometimes people who are have this entrenched mindset and why is it some people need to put other people in boxes Hmm. okay so i'm hearing two questions want to make sure i double check so the first one is i think i shifted a little during the that's that's okay we can clarify right so at first i was hearing why don't people make change when they know something is better and the second question i heard or the maybe the different question is why do people box each other Why do they kind of label and try to cram each other, stuff each other into these boxes? Can you just clarify for me? Because I want to make sure I answer one question. I know the reason why they put people in boxes. So Mm. why they don't make the change. Okay. Yeah. So, and just for you to know, I will be answering that question in the Thrive Thursday episode that comes out along with your episodes. So I want to, yeah. And I want to say thank you so, so much for giving us a peek behind your success and diving into your hard-learned wisdom. I think it's really rare and it's so empowering to learn from the pitfalls in whether it's entrepreneurship, business, leadership, in your case, also consulting and advocacy, as well as achievements. And thank you for sharing your journey along the way and lessons. You know, I hope you today listening really got a lot out of our conversation. I know that I have. And 
Janice, you know, I really appreciate you sharing so freely your passion, how you think, what you've learned, and really taking the time to dig into those things with me, because it's not always easy to do that. Just by way of recap, some of the things that you today shared, Janice, is you shared how important it is to persist the following up. You talked about how most people may follow up once or twice. And in your experience, the kind of sweet spot where most people have a tendency to really pick it up is around four times. And if it's taking more closer to eight times, it might be an indicator that there's something else going on. So thank you for sharing that from your experience as well. And also talking about how you learned from travel that it's important to be able to pivot and to adapt because in travel, a lot of times things don't go exactly as you planned or expected. And you gave that example of being in Japan during the pandemic and wanting to go to India and then having to reroute and go through Singapore and how important it is to recognize that things are not always going to go according to plan and being able to pivot, to adapt is really big and how much that's really taught you as well for business and leadership, because projects don't always go as you planned or as you anticipated, as you had hoped or expected at first. And then I also wanted to bring up, you talked about how your approach to change and your approach to your mission, and that's having multiple projects in the basket at once and being able to kind of let go of or drop a few, whether that's because there are processes that aren't moving along or people who are getting in the way or the system just isn't yet ready for it or any other reason. And being able to have other projects that you can continue to move forward on, as well as recognizing that in that meantime, that change is still happening. Even if you get kind of lodged or stuck in one area of a project, that change will still likely happen. You'll be able to pick it up later. And along with that, you shared, and this is such an important lesson here, you shared how important it is and how helpful it's been for you to leave that trail of breadcrumbs, to have that data, that information. You know, In your case, it's the call log that allows you to catch someone up allows you to follow that trail back to where you were in that project and allows you to follow up and help that project get kickstarted and moving really quickly with whoever you pick it up with whenever you choose to pick it up, if you choose to pick it up. So thank you so, so much for all of those lessons and more and so many, so many insights. Thank you so much, Ishai. This is just really fabulous. And I've learned so much from you as well. So very, very insightful. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. If you enjoyed today's episode, take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It helps grow the show and gives more people like you the ability to learn and grow. You can also click the share button to share today's episode directly with someone you know who would enjoy it. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast artwork is made by Sam Barkadari, show notes by Yishai Barkadari, and music by www.purple-planet.com. The advice and opinions of the host and guests are our own. I'm a psychologist, but not your psychologist. The conversations and content of this podcast do not contain or create any psychology practice, diagnosis, or therapist-patient relationship with either the guest or the listener. So do your own research before using anything from this podcast. Thank you for listening. Remember, our thoughts and reactions affect our actions. By listening, we can learn from the challenges others face and the choices they make so that we can make better decisions and get better results. 